baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. It is the Chris and Amy show with you on a Thursday. And because it's Thursday, we are joined as we are every week by the chief Washington correspondent for CBS, Major Garrett. He's the author of The Big Truth, Upholding Democracy in the Age of the Big Lie, the host of the Takeout podcast, as well as the host of Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hansen. Major, thank you for joining us today. I know it's been a busy morning for you. Yes, I have left the set of CBS News five minutes ago because we had continuous CBS News streaming coverage of the oral arguments before the Supreme Court on the question of ballot eligibility for former President Trump after the Colorado State Supreme Court ruled that he was ineligible. Um, And I just got finished with that, so that was like a three-hour marathon, so I'm glad to be with you. (laughs) We appreciate it. Yeah, we. uh, for those wondering why Major is joining us now, as he said, anchoring the live CBS Live coverage of the Supreme Court oral arguments. And Major, give us the rundown of what is it like there right now? What are you hearing? What are you seeing? Well, first of all, uh, I did it all from the CBS studios here in Washington, D.C. I wasn't at the Supreme Court. Our Jan Crawford was there, our election law expert. And by the way, my co-author on The Big Truth, David Becker, was there. David got to the Supreme Court at 3.30 this morning, by the way. That's what you have to do if you want a seat for a high-profile argument like this. And he did. Um, and I listened to the entirety of the oral arguments. And sometimes it is not easy to read the Supreme Court, I would not say that's what happened this morning. Uh, it was very easy to read the Supreme Court. So-called liberal justices, I don't like to use that terminology. I don't like to use conservative justices. I like to believe the justices apply the law, whatever their underlying political orientations are. Many people disagree with me on that. But just in general, if you think there are liberals and conservatives, they were asking more or less the same types of questions, not only about what's the strict reading of the 14th Amendment, Section 3, Is the president an officer under the United States, meaning does he qualify under the 14th Amendment? And more practically, do states have the authority, any authority, to decide any candidate for federal office is or was an insurrectionist and therefore invalidated from appearing on an election ballot? And the justices, with their questions and their probing on these three points, seem to be moving in a very similar direction. What was that direction? No, the states don't have it. And the practical realities of giving states that power would create confusion and would disenfranchise voters from making a decision themselves about that candidate's fitness for office before they could even do that by taking them off the ballot and depriving them of that right. And that was the consensus not only of Jan Crawford, our 30-year veteran of covering the Supreme Court, our election law expert David Becker, and every other legal analyst we had on to sort of summarize what happened before the court today. Major, hi. This is Brad Young. And as I was—hey, good afternoon, sir. And as I've been following this very closely, 
Uh, one of the things that that is culturally seems to be important, at least from my perspective here, regardless of of whether a person believes the, the Supreme Court should or should not exclude Trump from the ballot. But I've heard this issue of unanimity as opposed to having a five to four decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, so from what you heard today, and I'm certainly not asking you to call this one way or the other, right. but from what you just said and your analysis of the oral arguments, did you see some consensus here from the court, not along ideological grounds, but some consensus as a court as a whole to speak with one voice when it comes to deciding this critically important issue. Certainly the probability of that is very high. When you have Justice Elena Kagan and Katanji Brown-Jackson and Sonia Sotomayor asking questions and probing issues of contextual text of what the 14th Amendment says, in addition to the practical application of striking former President Trump or anyone else from the ballot, and having Justice Neil Gorsuch, Samuel Alito, John Roberts, Brett Kavanaugh, ask similar questions probing similar areas of either what does the text say, what is its historical meaning, is is there any legal precedent that gives us guidance on that? You can safely conclude that they're asking the same questions and circling the same issues for a similar reason. And that doesn't guarantee a nine nothing or an eight to one decision, but it is very clear to R. Jan Crawford, my dear colleague, having covered not only this court, but the Supreme Court for 30 years, that on a matter of this importance, this high visibility, that the Chief Justice would prefer, among all other possibilities, a unanimous verdict from the court on this question. And certainly what I heard today. And what everyone else that we turn to for their legal expertise heard today is there's a high probability that could happen. The other issue uh, that we have here, Major, is the issue of limbo. We have so many states right now, whether it's Colorado, whether it's Maine, whether it's Illinois, whether it's other states that are basically stating we're not going to reach a decision on this issue of eligibility until the Supreme Court decides. And since the Supreme Court normally doesn't render decisions until June or thereabouts, do you have you gotten any sense from court officials that this might be an expedited opinion in order to resolve this issue of limbo? Absolutely. Absolutely. It will not be June. There is just no way the court is going to take that long. And because it understands not only the political importance of what the court says, the legal importance of what the court says, but the practical importance. States want guidance. States need guidance. The court knows that. That's why the court took this case. That's why it put the arguments on a somewhat fast-tracked basis and our Jan Crawford said we could see a decision in two weeks. Hmm. Boy, that is expedited. Yeah, that's really, really yes. quick. Well, <laughs> wow. You know, I there are some political comment- commentators, some that I really respect, have voiced concern about this decision and that if the Supreme Court were to deem Donald Trump ineligible for a second term because of his conduct surrounding January 6th, that, as one person put it, they would have to have blank of steel to make that decision because there could be potential uh, and severe upheaval. Again, I know this is speculating and you're not in the business of doing that, but I imagine is that a concern that the judges, just human nature would have to be thinking about that as well? 
Look, we are in a fraught political environment, and uh, the Supreme Court has had to erect barriers around the building itself because of decisions it was either contemplating or about to announce. It knows that other members of the judiciary in our country at the federal level, at the state level, have received threats, have had to take preemptive actions to increase their security for themselves and their families. They know that we are in angry and volatile political times. And that is a consideration, but based on what happened today, I don't think it was the leading consideration. And to be perfectly honest, it can't be the consideration. The Constitution has clear language. People differ about what that clear language clearly means. There was an entire five or 10 minute discussion in oral arguments today about the linguistic and semantic difference between officer and office. Okay. So these things can at times be angels dancing on the head of a pin sort of stuff. But in the broad context, do states have this power? Are there practical concerns about applying that power? And is there something based on the constitution itself the practical concerns, and whether states are legally authorized to take this preemptive decision. Because much of the 14th Amendment talks about holding office, not running for office. Colorado says, hey, don't worry about that. If you're disqualified, you shouldn't be able to hold the office, therefore you shouldn't be able to run for office. Okay, that's Colorado's point of view. The Supreme Court seems skeptical about that. But answering that question on the law, and on precedent is the overwhelming consideration. But to your point, Amy, you cannot understand this case in a vacuum that does not include the volatility of our politics. Major, one of the reasons why I think that that so many uh, people are struggling with this is that there's no precedent for us to look at, at least no, no. recent precedent. It's not like Mm-mm. we could look to some decision 20 years ago and say, well, here's how it was applied then. How do we apply it now? But during the oral argument, in fact, the only precedent that I'm aware of goes back to 1869, where the Chief mm-hmm. Justice uh, uh, Salmon B. P. Chase ruled in a circuit opinion uh, that the that this insurrection clause is not self-executing. Was there any right. discussion of that precedent, even though it goes back, obviously, 150 years? Was there any heavyweight discussion? discussion. Was there, heavyweight okay, discussion about that. Great deal of discussion about that. However, as they discussed it, the Supreme Court justices said, well, it was a circuit court opinion. It's not Supreme Court precedent, but it is informative, and it did inform something that Congress subsequently did in 1870 was an a piece of legislation about insurrection. So they took that to mean, and certainly former President Trump's attorney argued forcefully that you take those two things together, there's a reason why we've had a general assumption about what is or isn't insurrection and whether or not the 14th Amendment, Section 3, is or isn't self-executed. And the reason we haven't asked that question is because of that opinion and what Congress did enacting a specific statute in relationship to that opinion. Now, the Colorado attorney said, hold on a minute. The reason we haven't asked this question is because we haven't had someone sitting in the Oval Office trying to deny the peaceful transfer of power by lying about the results of a previous election in which he lost. Also true. 
the Colorado attorney was saying, we're not here because of some confusion about that opinion from the 19th century. We're here because of actions of a former sitting president to thwart the peaceful transfer of power. And because of those actions, we are forced to debate these issues. I don't think anyone on the Supreme Court would disagree with that. We're all here because of actions former President Trump took based on information that was false then, false now, proven again and again to be false in courts, both criminally and civilly. But he took actions to deny the peaceful transfer of power. That's why all of this is a live issue, not because of confusion about the 19th century and Salmon B. Chase and someone we didn't even think about writing a circuit court opinion way back when. But that may not be enough for the court to say, well, yes, we're here for difficult circumstances and we wish we weren't here. And we certainly may have wished that January 6, 2021 didn't happen, but it did. Now the questions redound, not to whether what you like what former President Trump did. That's not the issue. That's not the issue. What are the facts and law and constitution and practical application thereof have to say about it? Major, who is on the takeout this week? Oh, boy. Um, that was a mouthful. Uh, so, uh, it, it, and you know, it's something when I say that about myself. I, yes. I, no, it was, I feel like I'm, you. Because I'm kind of on this show, I'm kind of the master of the mouthful. Like, it's <laughs> keep going and going and going. So even if I remark, wow, that was a lot. It's been a lot, so well, I apologize. No, everyone. don't apologize because we asked you to run a 5K after you crossed the finish line of a marathon. So <laughs> we're impressed. So uh, relevant to all of this, uh, we have two state secretaries of state who talk uh, at great length about the 14th Amendment and the difficulties it presents in their state. One is a Democrat, Adrian Fontes, from the state of Arizona, and one, Scott Schwab, a Republican from Kansas. And we talk about all these things, the 14th Amendment, presidential immunity, what, uh, how they're preparing for the 2024 election. So we're right on the floor of the news this week on The Takeout. Excellent. Major, thank you so much. Go uh, sit down for like five minutes or something. Okay, I will. Thanks, guys. (laughs) Thank you. That is Major Garrett, CBS Chief Washington correspondent, author of The Big Truth, Upholding Democracy in the Age of the Big Lie, host of The Takeout Podcast, and host of Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hansen. This is The Chris and Amy Show. He's Brad Young. I'm Amy Mark Scores on KMOX. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod. There is another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Time to rewind. It's the Chris and Amy Rewind Recap. Well, it's been a full day so far with Brad Young. I'm Amy Mark Scores. We just spoke with CBS Chief Washington Correspondent Major Garrett about the Supreme Court hearing oral arguments on Trump's eligibility for a second term regarding his conduct on January 6th. We also spoke with attorney Scott Rosenblum about the verdict that came out of Michigan regarding the mother, Jennifer Crumley, her responsibility when it came to her son who killed four students in a school shooting. I mean, he wasn't her in his care. So there is this Trenti loco type approach. Um, and I think as far as disregarding his mental, his mental situation, 
apparently there were some diaries where he was placing in the diary that he kept reaching out to his parents for help and they essentially disregarded it. And I think that combined with um, the fact that in, in spite of that, the father had recently purchased the weapon that was used and the mother like the day before that they are, are very close proximity took him to the shooting range. So, I mean, there were some other, I would think, uh, sort of explosive facts. However, I think it's still a reach for that type of prosecution. Yeah, really interesting, Brad, as you pointed out. He was charged, convicted, sentenced as an adult, and yet his mother is also facing responsibility, which makes sense to me because of her actions regarding her child. But he was tried as an adult. Right, and and I'm just struggling to see why I've not heard that Mm -hmm. question posed anywhere. I've not seen it on any media. I haven't read about it. And yet that's the thing that jumped out at me is the contradictory nature of that. If he's an adult, then how can his parents be held criminally liable uh, for not stopping it if he, in fact, is an adult? Hi, Amy and Brad. Uh, Could you explain to me you were talking about drones this morning and the authority to fly or not to fly them? And I just wonder why it is that TV stations are allowed to fly their drones in certain areas. There must be some reasoning that uh, allows that to happen. So if you could explain that, that would be great. Thank you. Yeah, that, that's a great question because we do see drones now and they're almost ubiquitous when it comes to news coverage. But you have to remember that that news coverage gets a special exemption when it comes to filming. Like, for example, if there is a uh, if there is a, a car accident and someone is standing on a corner looking at a car accident and they're on TV, they can't sue and say, you stole my image. You have my, I have a right to publicity and you control my image. No, that doesn't apply because that's a news coverage and news has an exemption for that. So on all that drone drone coverage that you see, as long as it's under the auspices of news, it's treated differently than something that's being used for other commercial purposes. Mm, really, really interesting. I'm glad the drone company hasn't uh, hasn't shown up yet. I hope they never do. It just uh, seems very odd to me. It, it's it kind of makes you feel bad, doesn't it? It's it kinda, does. Kind of squishy. It is very squishy. Uh, hey, Brad, I don't know if you're a fan of Barry Manilow, but we're giving people <laughs> over here, and we're going to give away some Barry Manilow tickets. Wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, no, I'm not a big fan. <laughs> not, not a big fan. All right. Sorry. But folks, don't listen to, to Brad Young when it comes to this. I mean, Bra- Barry Manilow is great. Copacabana. Yeah. Okay. 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 Well, you won't run into Brad Young at the concert, it seems, but maybe you'll run into me. It's July 25th at Enterprise Center. Barry Manilow. Be the, let's say, seventh caller. The seventh caller at 314 955 1120. For your chance to win a pair of tickets to see Barry Manilow, Sons Brad Young. And now we've got, ladies and gentlemen, Bob Costas. He's joining us next. What more Fabulous. can I say? You know what? When it comes to the Super Bowl, where a lot of people who don't watch football all year long double the audience, even of the conference championship yeah. games. Part of that is the halftime entertainment. Yes. A huge part of it is the commercials. Yes. So for people all of a sudden, because they don't like something about Taylor Swift, either they don't like the Chiefs or they've inferred that Taylor Swift might not be a Trumper, then they're annoyed by Taylor Swift. I can guarantee you that all this news on Fox News would not be happening if she was wearing a MAGA hat. They would love it. A man who riles them up and takes no prisoners. 
That's none other than Bob Costas. Brad Young, Amy Mark scores here alongside you. And joining us now is the broadcast legend, Emmy Award winning winner, KMOX legend, Bob Costas. Bob, thanks so much for joining us today. Hi, Amy. Isn't it amazing these days in the crazy world in which we live that by stating the obvious, you can rile people up? (laughs) I know. I know. But such is our environment. Hey, Bob, I do have to tell you what happened yesterday because um, Mm -hmm. miscommunication and we thought you were on yesterday. So while we were waiting for you to call, my co-host Chris Ranji and I were talking about you and we spoke at such length and in such adulatory terms that we had several people text in concerned that you had died. And (laughs) I had to... I had to go, no, no, no. They said, we just turned on the show and you're talking about Bob Costas. Is everything okay? Yeah. And yes. You know, usually, usually this this is kind of an adage now in the, <laughs> the crazy world in which we live that you're only going to get you're only going to get tributes sort of at the beginning when you're fresh and they don't have a <laughs> dossier on you. And then when you die. Yep. So, so, so I actually jumped the shark a little bit there and I thank you for it. Uh, you're welcome. Well, I was like, that's how highly we think it sounded posthumous, but it's not. Um, <laughs> the rumors of his death have been greatly exaggerated. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Said, said another Missourian, Mark exactly. Twain. Exactly. <laughs> that's right. Well, Bob, yeah, like you said, we, we've been, there's so much to get into because not only is there mm-hmm. the Super Bowl week, but you are also the focus of the newest episode of The Sounds of Baseball, which debuts tonight mm-hmm. at 7 p.m. Central Time on the MLB Network. And let's let's start with uh, the Super Bowl quickly, since we did play that, that clip. Yeah. Kansas City Chiefs, I mean, a quarterback who has never not played in the AFC Championship game is in his Super Bowl once again, and then also... The confluence of an, the other biggest phenomenon in the world, Taylor Swift. Yeah, uh, if it's possible for the Super Bowl, which is always by leaps and bounds the most watched thing in all of American entertainment, forget about sports. Uh, if it's possible for it to have even more buzz, it does now. Uh, the Taylor Swift, Travis Kelsey aspect is obvious, but also now the Chiefs, as you say, have been in six consecutive AFC Championship games. And four of the last five Super Bowls, Patrick Mahomes, even though there are a lot of other very good quarterbacks and exciting quarterbacks, Mahomes almost by acclamation is the number one guy now. Kelsey is Hall of Fame bound. So is Andy Reid as a coach. And so when you take all of those factors together, I mentioned last week on CNN that I think that at least for the time being, the Chiefs are America's team. Now, that doesn't mean that the Cowboys relinquish a nickname that has been affixed to them, but the team that has the most buzz and can be identified most readily, a handful of guys on the team, by the casual fan who isn't really a football nerd. That team is quite obviously now, since Tom Brady is gone, Peyton Manning has gone, that team is the Chiefs. Well, that's, that's true, Bob, but when you look at this, buzz and hype – uh, it is all fantastic until that first kickoff occurs. So when you look at that first kickoff, at this point at least Vegas has the 49ers with a slight, ever so slight advantage. Uh, how do you see the strengths and weaknesses when you look at this game comparing the Chiefs to the 49ers? How do you see the strengths and weaknesses matching up for the game once the game actually begins? 
You know, Brad, I'm not going to pretend to expertise I no longer have. It's been a while since I actively covered the league, so I watch it casually. Uh, I don't pay all that much attention during the regular season. I do in the postseason, and like everybody else, I'll be watching the game with interest. So my response to this is just an overview. Mm -hmm. Uh, It is a close call. Uh, Both teams are very, very good. The 49ers, despite a little bit of a dip at midseason, have been the best team in the NFC. We thought that the Ravens were the best team, and they were throughout the season in the AFC. But just to prove how seasoned they are, Mahomes and the Chiefs went to Buffalo and won on the road and then went to the number one seed, Baltimore, and won on the road. So you'd have to say, given their recent history and that success in this postseason, that the Chiefs are still the best team in the AFC. So this is the best possible matchup you can get. It's a toss of the coin type thing. But my gut tells me that if it's a close game and it figures to be, no disrespect to Brock Purdy, who is a great story. The last guy taken in the draft dubbed the so-called Mr. Irrelevant, and now he's got his team in the Super Bowl. He's a great story, and he's quite capable. But Mahomes' record in big games and his record coming from behind late in those big games can't be ignored. So I give the edge to the Chiefs. Well, despite your disclaimers of expertise, Bob, I have this question because really the main question that all America wants to have answered here Mm -hmm. is what is Bob Costas's favorite Super Bowl snack? You know, I, I, I guess, I guess I'm, it's kind of boring. I guess I'm a pizza guy. Nice. You know, a a good pizza, right? I mean, a a good St. Louis type pizza. Well, actually, I shouldn't say that because people think St. Louis pizza is only thin crust pizza. And I'm not like a deep dish Chicago guy. I like kind of split the difference. I grew up in New York. So it's got to have some crust for me to really enjoy it. This is too deep a dive into the pizza world, I believe. We can move on from here. But a good pizza is good for me on Super Bowl Sunday. Let's go to the MLB Network then, the Sounds of Baseball. And again, that debut episode Mm -hmm. With you, uh, featuring you, is tonight at 7 p.m. And it's really extraordinary because when the Major League Baseball Network launched in 2009, you Mm -hmm. were doing great with HBO. You you know, you were on HBO. You had your own successful career. And and MLB Network approaches you. Were you surprised that they approached you? Were, Were they surprised that you said yes? I don't know that they were surprised because they knew of my love of baseball Mm -hmm. and NBC lost baseball after the 2000 season. So I was kind of a baseball guy without a platform for nearly a decade. And I loved being at HBO for a long, long time. It was the gold standard in sports and in many other aspects of television. But this was my chance to do baseball. I didn't do it for a larger audience. I did it because of my love of the game. And the very first thing when MLBN came on the air on January 1st, 2009, was we had discovered the long lost kinescope of Don Larson's perfect game in 1956, which nobody, including Larson himself, had seen in its entirety with Mel Allen and Vin Scully as the announcers. And we brought Larson and his catcher, Yogi Berra, into Studio 42 for the very first broadcast on MLBN to watch the game and then between innings to reminisce about it. And, you know, a lot of great things ensued on MLBN after that. 
including the Sounds of Baseball series, uh, which I'm generally the host of, along with Tom Berducci, but you can't host a show that's about yourself. So I'll be watching tonight along with everybody else. And I, I'm, I'm sure they were too kind to me, but after all, <laughs> I work there, so <laughs> they, they ought not slap me around. Right. There'll be there'll be some posthumous love, I think. Posthumous yeah, love. Yeah, I hope. God, and... I hope. So. Right. <laughs> I, I, in fact, in fact, I, they'll probably play this at my memorial whenever that happens. <laughs> well, speaking of MLB Network, we spoke with Matt Vescursion yesterday. And oh, really? We did. Yes. And uh, he spoke so warmly of you and how they they were at MLB Network thrilled when you said yes, because like you said, you were at the gold standard over at HBO. He also said he told me to ask you about Ogie mm. Oglethorpe and Slapshot. Oh, wow. Well, this is actually is timely because just this past weekend, my son, Keith, who is both a producer and is on the air occasionally on MLBN, but grew up in St. Louis and remains an avid Cardinal fan. My son, Keith, and I made a pilgrimage to Johnstown, Pennsylvania, where 50 years ago I did my first professional broadcast. It was actually October of 1973, the old Eastern Hockey League, which is the league that Slapshot is based on. And it was my first broadcast for the Syracuse Blazers, and they happened to be playing the Johnstown Jets. The movie Slapshot was written by Nancy Dowd, who is the sister of Ned Dowd, who played for the Johnstown Jets. And most of the movie, starring Paul Newman, was filmed in and around Johnstown, an old kind of Rust Belt industrial town, and in the arena, which still stands, the Johnstown War Memorial. So we were just there less than a week ago, watching a couple of back-to-back games and kind of, you know, getting the feel of what it was where my career started. And a lot of the guys who were in Slapshot, which is one of the great sports movies, a lot of the guys who were extras were guys I recognized from the league because the movie was made only three or four years after the one season I was there. And after that one season, I came to St. Louis and KMOX to do the Spirits games in the ABA. Anyway, the character Ogie Oglethorpe in Slapshot is directly based on Bill Harpo Goldthorpe of the Syracuse Blazers the most penalized man by all accounts in the history of hockey. By his own proud estimate, he was arrested more than 40 times, usually for barroom and back alley brawls and whatnot. And he was banned for life from six leagues, including two senior leagues, like over 40 or over 50 leagues, because he just couldn't stop fighting. He's a kind of a legend. And anyway, part of his legend is that during that one season, it was a bus league, like all those minor league circuits are. And we're riding the bus from Syracuse, I think, on this occasion, to Long Island to play the Long Island Ducks. And I'm minding my own business, sitting on in the bus, reading the New York Times. This alone infuriated Goldthorpe. And he reached over my shoulder, yanked the paper out of my hand, and ripped it to shreds and let it fall on the floor of the moving bus. Now, I'm 21 years old. I'm certainly not going to be able to fight this enforcer. But on the other hand, I'm thinking, I got to do something here. I got to save face. So I looked up at him and I said, hey, don't be jealous, Goldie. I'll teach you to read. And (laughs) yeah, this is is all true. This is all true. Okay. So this did not please him. 
so he he yanks me out of my seat, and now all the players have turned around to look, slams me up against the wall, and says many threatening words, including reaching up into the rack and pulling down a hacksaw, which the players use to trim their sticks. And he puts the hacksaw up under my chin. Now, I know, even in this moment of peril, I know he doesn't really intend to decapitate me. I'm also thinking this is not the sort of guy who would take into account all the dynamics of the situation. Might veer on the road to avoid a deer, hit a pothole, who knows what happens. After what probably was only 15 seconds but seemed to me like an eternity, he puts down the hacksaw. He lets me go. There was a, a SWAT team forming from the front of the bus where the veteran players and the coach sat and was like, Goldie, put the hacksaw down, put Bob down, go sit down. <laughs> okay. But after that, after that, he left me alone. We actually got along after that because in some sense, I guess, he felt that I had stood up for myself and I won his respect. Okay. Fast forward <laughs> Gee, I don't know, 25 years, and I'm on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno, and I tell that, ver- that very story. A couple days later, the phone rings. Somehow, Goldie has figured out how to get in touch with me. Hey, Bob, we had some great times, didn't we, pal? Okay. Now, fast forward another 20 years, and about three years ago, he wrote a memoir. Guess who wrote the foreword? None other than Bob Costas. That would be correct, yes. Wow. That is <laughs> that's incredible, Bob. Every time you are on this station, there's a story that I haven't heard before. We, we you had the Lou Brock or the Bob Gibson story last time. My goodness. That's incredible. See, Vaskirjan didn't steer you wrong. He steered you to a good story. He did, absolutely. And again, I highly recommend everybody tune into the MLB Network tonight at 7 o'clock to see the Sounds of Baseball episode on Bob Costas. Bob, thank you so, so much again for joining us today. It's always a treat. Thank you, Amy. Thank you, Brad. And I should add before we go here that the Sounds of Baseball has really done right by St. Louis. Uh, we've done maybe a dozen, and a third of them are connected to St. Louis. We did Jack Buck. We did uh, Harry Carey. We did Joe Garagiola. Now me. And the next one, a week or two from now, is Joe Buck. So it's actually more than a third. There's five St. Louis-connected announcers on the Sounds of Baseball. Oh, it's excellent. I, I think about this a lot, how spoiled we are in St. Louis with the broadcasters that we've had come out of this city and have been able to grow up listening to. It is an embarrassment of riches, I think. Yeah, I think people outside St. Louis or this region might not fully appreciate it. A lot of it is centered on baseball. Mm-hmm. But you think about hockey and how great Dan Kelly has been or was over the years and Bob Starr on football back in the day. And there's so many, Dan Deardorff, so many great announcers through the years uh, because really of the power and prestige of KMOX. And it's certainly a, a proud part of my biography that I, that I was part of that in some way. Well, thank you, Bob. I hope to talk to you again soon. Um, thank you again. Thanks, Amy. Thanks, Alrighty. Brad. I'm just glad you're not dead. <laughs> you and me both. Very good. <laughs> yes, the very much alive Bob Costas. Love it. Brad Young, we're almost done. We wow. have almost made it through another day. Um, Where did the time go? Hey, when we come back, I'm going to uh, let you know who won those Barry Manilow tickets. Ooh. He's Brad Young. I'm Amy Mark Scores. This is the Chris and Amy Show.
Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 